please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. And chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, we'll read verses 1 through 23. As you're turning, I also will just bring you greetings from our congregation, from our officers and session to yours, and grateful to be uh, in your midst tonight and, uh, and to have Nathan Preaching at our congregation is a, is a wonderful treat as well. So it is a, a blessing to be with you. Thank you. Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. Once again, God's holy word. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord endures forever. Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. 
As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. For your Son's sake. Amen. Congregation, well-loved, by our Lord Jesus Christ. We consider tonight some of our primary duties as Christians. I was thinking, how do I preach to my friend's congregation? And two things that popped into my head would be, how do they receive my friend's sermons on a weekly basis? Or uh, I could do a, a sermon on giving. Those were kind of the two, right? Kind of come in and help him out in that way. I chose not to do the giving sermon. So how to listen to Reverend Voss when he preaches. And what a great and mighty task that we all have as God's people when we sit under the preaching of the Word. You know, when you begin to learn something, you can at first think it's a little bit simpler than it actually is. I had this uh, experience earlier this week. My five-year-old daughter and my seven-year-old daughter, there was some football that was on the television, and the five-year-old, or the seven-year-old is kind of watching it unfold, and she says something to the effect that it looks very complicated, it is a fairly complicated game, and she asks me, can you explain to me how this game works? And the five-year-old said, "It's, it's very simple, you just get the ball and you throw it, and the person catches it, and they win. And the seven-year-old is thinking, no, that's not right. There's a, there's a lot more that's going on here. And, and, and it can be similar for many things in life. You, you begin to learn a new language, and, and you think, you learn about 10 or 11 phrases, and you start to think that you, you're getting the language down. But then all of a sudden you realize there's, there are many more hills to climb, and all kinds of complexities that you know nothing about. And actually... This rule it only applies about 60% of the time, and here's what you do otherwise. And we have this experience many times in life. We sink our feet into something, and we, and we say, this seems like it's easy, and then it's not. Listening to a sermon is kind of that way. You, you, you begin to listen to sermons early on in your Christian life, and, and you think really all that you do is you sit there, and you can listen and pay attention but you're not aware initially, and perhaps for many Christians, they never become fully aware of all of the things that are going on when the Word of God is being preached. That not only is there an amazing assembly of God's people where people are saying, we're going to submit to this Word insofar as it is preached as the Word of God. But there's also a, a cosmic battle going on. The... the the king of demons, Satan himself, is working to minimize the effects of the word as it is preached. There's a battle going on in the human heart that 
whether or not this word takes root and produces the fruit that it can and will produce when God so wills it. And so I want to take a look at the lessons of the soils uh, in the parable of the sower. The first three responses in the parable of the sower are unbelieving responses. The first response is outright rejection. The second two responses are what we might call temporary or false belief, right? It, it, it proves to not be true faith. And the last is true and saving faith and true belief. But all four of them have important lessons for us as God's people, as those who are seeking to serve Christ. And all of them teach us something about how to receive the Word of God preached and even the Word of God read. So extremely applicable to our Christian life. And my prayer is is that it proves to be helpful in your own consideration of your life lived before God. First, we'll do the lesson of the parable and then the lesson of the soil. So, so just three quick things to point out. The lesson of the parable overall, where it, how it uh, comes to us in the Gospel of Matthew here. You can think of three things. Uh, the place of the parable, the pace of the parable, and the purpose of the parable, the purpose of parables in general. First, the place of the parable. What is happening as Jesus says this? Well, at the beginning of chapter 13, things have, have sort of snowballed in Jesus' ministry to make everyone very excited. You can see a a crowd has gathered. And certain times in human history when a lot of circumstances converge and there's something like a a revolution in a country. Think about the the Russian Revolution, the first half, the first part of the 20th century. There is this kind of frenetic pace to things. And things are are, are changing in, in, in a very quick way. And this is kind of like the point at which Jesus finds himself in his earthly ministry. If he would have said, let us take up arms, many people would have followed him at this point. And so there is this this widespread excitement for those who are following Jesus and listening to him. And at this point, what does he do? He tells a parable using pictures from agriculture. It's, It's very important to notice that, that... This is when he says and teaches the parable of the sower. And it teaches us a lot about the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is is not like the kingdoms of this world. It will not rise or fall on the hearts of men. It's essentially the lesson you learn about the place where this parable is told. It does not rise and fall on the hearts of men. This kingdom comes to power by the word and the will of God. And it will not fall out of its place in history because people reject it. God will accomplish his purposes. Jesus teaches that in just in saying this parable where and when he does. Secondly, the pace. So first you have the place of the parable, the pace of the parable. This is a church surrounded by farmland, so you all know this better than I would. You think of old sayings like it's the, it, this, this was about as exciting as watching grass grow. Right? The, 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 the thrust of that saying is that it's not very exciting to watch grass grow. Jesus uses this parable to show something of the pace of the kingdom of God. It will grow slowly, mysteriously, and powerfully when the 
seeds are planted at the beginning of, of planting season, it's not very impressive as you're, as you're driving down to church, is it? Morning and evening. But by harvest time, it, it, it is rather impressive, isn't it? You can't see over the, over the corn. You can see it, you know, uh, looking down the fields for miles. It's a very powerful picture, isn't it? But you can't just sit there on any day and watch it sprout up. So the kingdom grows slowly, it grows mysteriously, it grows powerfully. That's the, the, the purpose of Jesus' picture. The place of the parable, the pace of the parable, tells us something about the kingdom of God. And then the purpose, why was Jesus speaking in parables? Here you have this point at which everyone is, is raring to go. You would almost expect maybe a, a pregame speech of a coach trying to get his, his team riled up and worked up so that they're ready to go and accomplish what they've practiced to do. He tells them this parable, and you sense the frustration from the disciples. Why do you speak to them in parables? And the purpose for that, what Jesus says, that that long interlude in between where he says the parable and he explains the parable, he teaches us that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of faith. The kingdom of God exists in this world insofar as God grants the eyes to see the reality of the kingdom of God, insofar as he grants faith to believe in the things that Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of God. When Jesus was present on earth, he spoke often in parables because he spoke in a way that that got around to the point in mysterious ways because if he were to come out and say, I'm the King of Kings, I am the Lord of Lords, I am going to reign and rule over every kingdom, it would have produced different responses in the hearts of his hearers. Now that Jesus is risen and ascended and living at the right hand of God, we openly proclaim him. We say to anyone who will listen to us that Jesus Christ is died, he has risen again, he lives, and he reigns at the right hand of God. And you must submit to him. You must believe and trust in him. We openly proclaim it. Preachers don't preach in parables. We explain the parables so far as God grants us understanding. But that's not the mode of preaching. Now, we openly proclaim. Jesus did not do that often because he was calling people to faith that they had to be given eyes to see something of what he was that was deeper than just what he was saying. So that's the the place and the pace and the purpose of the parable. Just to create some background as we then dive in to the lesson of of the soils, the lesson of the soils. And in all of these things, we have many lessons to learn. Even though, God willing, Lord willing, we are not like those who reject the word. We are not like those who walk away when things get difficult. We are not like those who have uh, our eyes to see the kingdom choked out by the cares of the world. But we need to be aware of all of these things, and especially aware when we come before the word of God and when we listen to the minister preach the word of God. But first, who is the sower? Well, Jesus Christ is the sower. Jesus Christ still is the sower. Those who are commissioned to preach and teach the word of God are his his vice regents. They are his, his helpers, his messengers. They are the ones who go and sow his word, his message. 
That's all that I can say. All that I can say to you is what Jesus commands a preacher to say. And so we're scattering seeds throughout the world, but it's Christ's word. It's his message. And he is the one, ultimately, who is the sower. And then secondly, you might say, well, how does soil become good? Because that's what I want to be. I want to be good soil. Behind this parable is, of course, the sovereign work of God. So we need to seek that God would till the soil of our hearts. But ultimately, we must seek it in faith, asking God to grant it. Lord, make my soul fertile, fertile ground to receive your word. So what is this first soil that Jesus teaches us, Jesus Christ teaches us in the parable of, of the sower? Well, it's that it is those who reject the word of God outright. This is the most obvious and, and, and blatant rejection. This is the, the seed that is sown along the path. Sowers in that day were, were talented workers. They didn't have all the machinery that's, that some of you have today, that farmers have in general. But they were skilled workers, but there were paths that would be cut through the field. Those paths would be trodden down. They would become hard and, and, and cracked, hard like concrete, thus the, the seed would not sink in. It's very simple to understand. I'm certainly no farmer. If I make any farming mistakes tonight, you can tell me afterwards in case I ever preach this in, a, in, a, in, a, in another situation like this again. But it's hard ground. It doesn't penetrate into the soil. And so what happens? A, a bird comes and snatches it away. Jesus says that the one who rejects the word outright does not understand it. And this word understand is to really, to have an insight into. To have this ability to see into the depth of, of the reality. And the insight that they are lacking, and the insight that all of us need to be seeking all of the time, is the incomparable value of this kingdom. Jesus will say later on in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price. And when a merchant found that pearl, he, in his joy, in other words, it becomes his, he is glad to do it. He goes and sells all that he has to attain that one pearl. Why? Because he sees that this kingdom is worth everything. And that's the insight of the kingdom that one who rejects it lacks. Because when the kingdom of Christ is proclaimed and the Lord God fills a human heart with true faith, what enters into that heart is a willingness to leave everything behind to gain Christ. Now thankfully the Lord doesn't always ask us or even often ask that he fills our lives with many wonderful blessings. The blessings and the joy of family, of work, community, of education, of the arts, of many things. But there are times, and there are folks who are called to leave it all behind. And all of us will experience loss in this life, won't we? We all will experience loss. And what must abide in our hearts? A knowledge that this kingdom is worth everything. That if we gain Christ, we have enough. That if he is ours, that is all that we need. What we need to be aware of with this first 
uh, example that Jesus gives, this first soil, is we need to see that the enemy is snatching away the truth of God. In other words, Satan does not want God's word to be understood. He will do anything to cut off life before it begins. He will do anything to stop you from growing in your understanding of the word of God. He wants you to be less fruitful. He wants fewer people to come to know Jesus Christ. Now, ultimately, in some mysterious way, God is sovereign over all of it. He always accomplishes his purposes. But we must know, as God's people, that he's active, he's moving. He wants the word of God to not be understood. This should give us grave concern. Satan knows what's at stake. Do you know what's at stake when the word of God is preached? He knows where the power of God lies. So there, his birds come and snatch it away. He knows if a heart can be sufficiently hardened, it will not receive that seed that sinks down. Our hearts grieve over those who reject the word of God, over those who have no time for it. But beloved, is your heart at times too hard to receive God's word? Is your heart sometimes like that path that gets trodden down, caked, dried, cracked, like concrete, that it doesn't sink down deep? You know, many people hear many, many sermons in their life, hundreds, thousands of sermons easily. And oftentimes, those who hear so many sermons learn over time, just like the path that is walked over thousands of times, they learn how to shut off God's truth from sinking down into them. So do not assume that because you hear lots of sermons that all of its truth is sinking down into you. It's the first soil. The second soil, those who run at the first sign of suffering. Initially, it's received with joy, it says, but there's a, a failure to endure when trials come. This is the kind of false faith, this is the kind of temporary faith that stems from misunderstanding the Christian faith itself. That someone believes that their life is going to be easy because they follow Jesus Christ. I take Jesus Christ to myself, I take him as my own, he will make my life easier. The issue here is, is that of, of superficial roots delve a little bit deep, more deeply into the agricultural metaphors here. I do so with great trepidation as a city and suburbs kid. A few summers ago, I, though I was speaking with a farmer about grass, and my grass had turned quite yellow. We had a, a spring of a lot of rain, and then a dry spell in June. And I asked my farmer friends, what's going on? He said, well, your grass, he said, it has superficial roots. Superficial roots. And that always stuck in my mind. In other words, the grass had not been challenged to reach down deeply into the soil, so when, when just underneath the surface of the soil it had dried up, it, had nowhere, it, it couldn't reach for water anywhere more deeply. You all know this better than I do, I'm sure. It had been receiving so much rainfall. In other words, life was easy for the grass in that spring. Water's all right there. It's got all that it needs. It doesn't need to sink down deeply. Beloved, you see the lesson? It's easy to see, isn't it? When things are great, when God in his providence is showering blessings upon your life, and the rain is falling just at the right time, 
Ever have those springs or summers where every five or six days you get a consistent rainfall? When your life is, is like that, that you don't have to dig too deeply into your heart to gain the rivers of living water, do you allow the roots of your faith to become superficial? Only just under the surface. See, a superficial faith will not carry you through difficult times. Your faith, if it is superficial, will either become something more than that when difficulty is presented to you, or you will walk away. Such is the way it goes with, with many. Those who come to the faith thinking that it solves every problem, those who come to the faith thinking that it, makes, it will make them healthy or wealthy or prosperous, and then difficulty comes and they have no answers. Children, this would be like playing an instrument. I'm sure we have many uh, who are seeking to play an instrument and to play it well in this congregation. All of us would be able to, to, we would love to be able to sit down at a piano or an organ or to take up any instrument and, and to seemingly effortlessly fill the room with beautiful music in ways that make everybody stand in awe of, of uh, what you were doing. We would take that ability if it were just given to us. But kids, do you get that kind of ability in one day, one week? You just sit down at a piano and someone tells you a couple of things and then in a few moments you're playing something by Mozart or by Beethoven. What does it take to learn an instrument, children? It takes long, difficult, painful, arduous, seemingly endless practice, even before you are able to play your first piece of beautiful music. You will practice and practice and practice for a year before you can play anything sounding uh, that, that sounds anything like beautiful music. So when people hear that it's hard, it's hard to learn the piano, it's hard to learn the organ, the violin, or any number of instruments, what do people do? They give up. And children, this is how it is with the, with the faith for many. When people learn that Christianity is difficult, they walk away. They give up. You see, all of us like, in theory, what faith promises. Eternal life. Who wouldn't like that? Who wouldn't take it if it were handed to you? But when they find out the faith is hard, when they find out that remaining faithful is difficult, many of them walk away. So how do you fight against this? Not only to grieve those who leave the faith and to know that it happens, but how do you fight against it in your own heart? Here's two things you can do. First is this. Learn now what the faith is and what it is not. Learn what the faith is and what it is not. God does not save you so that your life would be easy. And I know you hear, I know you hear good teaching on that week after week after week. And praise God for it. But learn what the faith is now and what it is not. God saves you so that you might glorify Him. He saves you so that you might enjoy communing with Him. He's made you for His glory. You must love that truth. You must learn to love that truth. He made you for Himself. This life is not about us. It's about our great God. And that's, that leads us into the second thing. Treasure Christ now. Treasure Him now in a way that will abide when suffering comes. If your life is easy, you need to work to treasure and love your Savior. You need to commune with Him, and you need to work hard at it, and you need to seek Him with an undivided heart. 
when life is good so that it abides when it's not. How do you treasure Christ now? One way to to think about that is to think about God and His many perfections. God is a God who, who does not change. And if you think about God not changing, and it's a very mysterious thing, but to meditate on it, that our God never changes. And, and Jesus Christ is, is God the Son. And Jesus Christ had no beginning. And because He had no beginning, that proves to me that not only does He love me, but He will always love me. He will never not love me because He never began. And if you think about Jesus Christ loving you in that way, tell you that if you do so humbly, your love for him will increase. The third soil is those who are choked out by the cares of the world. Choked out by the cares of the world. The the, the third soil is sown among the thorns, and those thorns represent all of the competing cares which grab the attention of your heart. All of the things that, that compete against your love for Christ. All of the things that loosen the intensity of your love of heavenly things and the gospel. The seed that falls in this third soil is one who seems to accept the word of the kingdom, but slowly, perhaps slowly, the weeds grow up and choke it out. Choke out the faith that once seemed to be so real. Now this ultimately claims some. Some leave the church for this because the cares and the concerns of this world are such that they lose that insight to the incomparable value of the kingdom. But all of us battle this daily, don't we? Every day that you wake up, that the Lord gives to you, it's a battle as to whether or not you will be able to hold on to this truth that there is nothing that outweighs the value of this kingdom. And so we fight against it. We mourn those who are represented by this soil. And we understand that as the sower sows seed, there will be some who reject the word. We understand that there will be some who accept it with joy but walk away when time gets difficult. There will be some whose faith gets choked out by the cares of the world. There will be no harvest unless the seed is sown. So how do we fight against this, the reality of this third soil interfering with our own pursuit of God? We must be filled with the heavenly-mindedness. Heavenly-mindedness is the answer to this third soil. The truth is, beloved people of God, that you will stay above the weeds if you keep your eyes fixed above the weeds. That if you, as Colossians 3 tells you to do, to set your mind on things above and remember where your life is, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And if you have been made to know Jesus Christ, your ultimate reality, your ultimate citizenship, your ultimate source of life is there in the throne room of heaven, seated at God's right hand. Jesus Christ is your life. He's the ultimate foundation of who you are. And if you keep your eyes, the eyes of your heart, on Him, then the weeds that come to choke up your faith will never reach you. Look above the weeds, and you'll stay above the weeds. Now, 
We all know there are many things in our life, right? We need to, to, to tackle all kinds of practical things day by day by day. And it's good that we do so. It's good that we invest in, in earthly things. And we don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. And there are many things in our, in our tradition, in the continental Dutch Reformed tradition, that remind us of that time and time again. Where's our ultimate love, though? Is it in Jesus Christ? Yes, be involved in the things and the calling that God has given to you. But serve Him in all of it. And from a heart that is given to Him, live for Him through your calling. And do so by faith. The last soil is true faith and true belief. The believer understands. He has insight. The believer has a right ordering of his loves and values. He has that, that ultimate reality of uh, what we talked about earlier, that he understands the value of the kingdom. Like the one who buys the field. He finds a treasure hidden in a field, and he, like the merchant with the pearl, goes and sells all that he has so he may buy that field. And it is his great joy to do so. This is faith that endures under the scorching sun of suffering. This is faith that rises above the weeds of the world's cares. Friends, as we consider this at the close of this Lord's Day, is this your faith? There is suffering. Yes, there are many cares of the world. But are your roots so deep that they can reach into the waters when the rains stop coming? Are you abiding in the vine such that the strength and depth of faith can endure the trials of life and cannot be choked by the things which pull us to have an earth-only view? So is there life? Jesus says when the soil, when the seed finds good soil, there is life. And so what is the life of God in the soul of man? That if you have faith in Jesus Christ, true faith, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, and not only do I understand the, the objective truths of the gospel, but I understand that Jesus Christ died for me, that he bore my sins at Calvary, and because of that I can be assured that I am forgiven. There is life that flows forth from that faith. That life is a love for God. Good uh, Dutchman Campegius Vitringa speaks of this. The, the source of spiritual life is a, a sincere love for God that is produced in a person's soul by the Holy Spirit that grants them faith in the word of grace. That is the, the message of the gospel. He says that love for God is an affection of the soul in which a person, despite being sinful, feels that his highest good is to be in communion with God. That is the life that Jesus is talking about. That you in your heart feel that your highest good is to be joined with the God who created all things. And that you can do so in Jesus Christ. So your heart is then filled. It begins to be filled with this love for God, which you can divide into two kinds of love. It's a desiring love and a love of devotion. The desiring love is essentially faith itself, that you hear the message of forgiveness and you so desire to know this God, you so desire to be joined with Him that you run the path that He has prescribed, which is the path of faith, that you embrace Jesus Christ in the gospel. The second is a love of devotion, that you are happy to devote yourself to Him with all that you are, 
and all that you have. This is a love that changes you. Jesus is saying there is life here. It does something, and what it does is it changes you. So some may say as we close, well, how fruitful do I need to be? A hundredfold, sixtyfold, or thirtyfold? That's the wrong question and the wrong equation. Here's the equation you need to be you need to have in your mind. Christ has given all of himself for you and demands that you give your all to him. Children, Jesus gives all of himself to save sinners. And says, you must give your all to him. So tonight, beloved people of God, take all of Christ for yourself. Take all of him. But give all that you are back unto him. And he will take care of fruitfulness. He will fill your life with this life, with this love for God, with a desiring love and a love of devotion that you might live for him. Be aware of all of these things as you read the Bible, as the Bible is preached to you faithfully, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. Be aware of the cosmic battle. Be aware that all that can happen. Be aware that God, in his mercy, his power, can make this sea sink into your heart and change you forever. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your many mercies. And we ask that you will now allow this seed to sink into our hearts and make us fruitful. We pray that as we sit under the ministry of the word week by week, that we would pray and come to you in reliance, knowing that you are the one who tills the soil of our hearts. We pray that you would do so cause us to abound in fruitfulness. And may we tonight take all of Christ for ourselves and give all of ourselves back.